Before we get going, I was going to ask you a couple questions. What happened 1,700 years ago and 13 days? You know? <laughs> Something happened that affects us today. Does anybody know what it was? Okay. Absolutely. I will. The first National Sunday Law that I'm aware of, Constantine the Great, on March the 7th in the year 321 A.D., said all judges and city people and the craftsmen shall rest on the venerable day of the sun. And he declared Sunday the official day of rest in the Roman Empire. And with his influence, that was almost like a worldwide (laughs) uh, National Sunday Law. Um, But on that day, all markets were banned, no buying or selling, and public offices were closed. However, he also said um, that in the country, however, persons engaging in agriculture may freely and lawfully continue their pursuits. So there was no restrictions on farm work on Sunday because they always needed food. And he thought, because it often happens that no other day is so fit for sowing corn or planting vines. Lest the critical moment being let slip, men should lose the commodities granted by heaven. So this part of that law proves that Sunday really isn't a substitute Sabbath because on God's Sabbath, no agricultural work. You know, you stop. You stop all work. And so Sunday rest is sort of a different creature so to speak. And um, this is a picture of a Roman coin with the god, their Roman deity, their god, the sun god, Sol Invictus. And Constantine called that sun deity his companion. The sun deity's title was Sol Invictus. That's in Latin. It means the unconquered sun. This sun god was already a pagan Roman god featured on Roman coins. This rest day was commanded in honor of the Son and not in honor of Jesus the Messiah. Okay, now we'll get going with our message today. So let's, oh, I wanted to say something. I wanted to give credit to these thoughts I'm going to share today. Two Sabbaths ago, we were over in Cleburne and we went to Country Life Church and Pastor Philip Sizemore over there, Lynn and David know him. He used to be at the church up in Missouri where Hillary and Uri were. Uh, but he's at Cleburne now, and uh, he did this basic presentation. I changed it a little bit, added a little, made it my own, but the basic ideas I wanted to give credit to him. And so before we begin, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please send your Holy Spirit to open our minds and teach us so that we may love and follow you better by hearing, understanding, and living your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to start off in Revelation twelve seventeen. You're familiar with this. The dragon was wroth or mad with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And we know that the dragon is Satan and the woman is a church. And if Satan is mad at her, that's who we want to be associated with. Those are the right folks if Satan is mad with them. These folks keep the commandments of God, and that's easy to understand, and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And our next verse is going to explain that. And that is Revelation 19:10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, 
See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So many people think they're prophets. There's some around today. There have always been a few. Sometimes they're quite kooky. Some are a little strange. But there are true prophets, and how do we spot one? We need to look very carefully at this subject because the Bible, God's book, was written by prophets. So there are true prophets. Now, God tells us in Matthew seven fifteen to beware of all prophets, right? False prophets. Yeah, no, you beware of false prophets. Now, see the wolf in there? I think that's a rather cool picture. I really, I like that. <laughs> Somebody did a good job on that one. But it makes a point. Okay. In Genesis 5.27, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. So who was the oldest man that ever lived? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was not Methuselah. He was the oldest man that ever died. He died. The oldest man that ever lived, and he's still living, was Enoch, his father. That was kind of a trick question. Um, and we know that Enoch was a prophet, for in Jude 1.14, it said he prophesied. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. And Hebrews tells us that by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. So as far as I'm aware, I believe Enoch was the first prophet. Okay, and Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 180 and 7 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and 2 years and begat sons and daughters. So Methuselah's name was actually a prophet, a prophecy, and his father Enoch, the prophet, gave it to him. So Methuselah, the first part of that word is mut or muth. It means to die or to kill. And the last part, shalah, means to send. So most dictionaries of the Old Testament translate his whole name to mean, when he is dead, it shall be sent. So keep that in mind. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and 9 years, and he died. And Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son, and he called his name Noah saying, The same shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So we're going to do a little math here. Methuselah was 187 when he begat Lamech. And Lamech was 182 when he begat Noah. So 187 and 182 added together equals 369. So Methuselah was 369 when Noah was born. Okay, and Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters were upon the earth. Now, think about this. You know about our cancel culture now? Do you know what I'm talking about, how the Internet cancels you if they don't like you? Okay, well, if they had lived with the cancel, cancel 
culture that we are now living in, the fact-checkers would have said, since it had never rained or stormed or flooded ever before, it could not now. So Noah must be a conspiracy theorist. And you know that the Internet would have slammed him. They probably would have removed his Facebook page, all his videos, and all his tweets. Think just in our modern culture, that's what would have happened to this fellow. Okay, we're going to do a little more math. Methuselah was 369 when Noah was born, and Noah was 600 when the flood came. So 369 plus 600 is 969. And, and the Bible confirms this. All the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. So Noah had preached 120 years, but Methuselah lived to the year of the flood, but he died before it happened during that year. So once you think about this, if we were there then, before the flood, we'd hear, we would have seen the ark be put together. Then we would have heard lots of birds flying in the sky heading to the ark. Then we'd see the animals coming out of the woods in their hiding places, heading into the ark by twos or sevens. Nobody's leading them. And then somebody says, hey, the old guy died. Who? You know, the old man whose name means something like when he's gone, something's going to happen. But something strange is happening. When Noah, then Noah gives one last call. He's preached for 120 years, but he now says, get on the boat. But no one responds. His family goes in, and the door shuts. Seven days go by, and nothing happens. The fact checkers have done their work. No rain, no storm, no flood has ever happened. It can't. This goofball and his family are crazy. The Internet says so. But now they don't have to worry about him anymore. He locked himself up in that big boat. Ha, ha, ha. The Internet slammed him, but the prophecy was true. He, Methuselah, died, and it, the flood, came. And they, the fact-checkers and all who believed them, died. So I want you to look at this time prophecy. God gave the prophet Enoch and the flood prophecy 600 years before it happened. God gave Noah another prophecy toward the end of the prophecy to prepare and warn the people of what was coming. Okay, well now we have another prophecy. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs, and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge. And afterwards they will come out with great substance. So God gave Abram, or Abraham, a time prophecy about the Israelites' sojourn in Egypt. Abraham is a prophet. Well, let's see if God brings someone at the end of this time prophecy. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back side of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the fire was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Those are all from Exodus 3, 1 to 3. 
And then verses 7 to 10. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, to a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God just gave Moses the job of a prophet, and right at the end of that time prophecy. So remember, we have Enoch and the time prophecy of the flood with Noah at the end. Then we have Abram and the time prophecy of the Israelites leaving Egyptian captivity with Moses at the end. Okay, now we have another prophecy. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof ye shall have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye have you caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. So we have another time prophecy, and this one was given to Jeremiah. Now, in the end, I'm sorry, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel is the prophet at the end of this time prophecy. So again, Enoch's flood prophecy ends with Noah. Abram's prophecy of the end of the Egyptian bondage ends with Moses. And Jeremiah's prophecy about the end of the Babylonian captivity ends with Daniel. So we have a nice little pattern going here. Okay, now... Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So here's another time prophecy. This one is about when the Messiah will come. And it was given through Daniel the prophet. Okay. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. 
Well, John was the prophet to prepare the way for Jesus, to prepare the people for his first coming. And even Jesus, Mark 1, 15, he said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So Jesus said that the time was fulfilled, and he was speaking of Daniel's prophecy. And there's John talking about John. Jesus says, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Jesus' own words. So Enoch and the flood prophecy with Noah at the end. We have Abram with the freedom from Egyptian captivity with Moses. We have Jeremiah with the prophecy from ending of the Babylonian captivity with Daniel. And now Daniel about the Messiah coming with John. So why is God doing this pattern? Does he want us to see something? Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Amos 3, 7. God is very good. He wants his people to be warned. He wants them to know what's happening. Okay. And Daniel eight fourteen says, And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So Daniel had another prophecy, and this one ended in 1844. So as we look through these time prophecies again, with each one of these, we're going to get down to this last prophecy. The time prophecy that ends in 1844. And there must be a prophet, if we follow the same pattern that the Lord has been all along, There's going to be a prophet at the end of this time prophecy. There were quite a few individuals who considered them prophets, about themselves prophets about that time. Joseph Smith is the one that started the Mormon religion. There was another fellow named Andrew Jackson Davis, who was a spiritualist. He was into spiritism. Syed Ali Muhammad is the one that started the Baha'i faith. These are all in this time frame. And Charles Taze Russell started the Watchtower Society, and some of those people eventually started the Jehovah's Witness Church. Mary Baker Eddy started the Christian Scientist Church. Edgar Cayce was called the Sleeping Prophet. He had dreams and such when he slept. And Charles Darwin wrote The Origin of the Species. Now, you say he didn't start a church. Well, he didn't start a church as such. But if you look at all the people that believe in in evolution, you've got to have faith to believe that too. And they have a fierce faith in that. And then there was Ellen White who helped start the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So there were quite a few individuals all around that period of time that considered themselves prophets. So you can see that Satan was quite busy if people knew that prophecy, that there would be a lot of different people that they could follow thinking they might be following the right one and not knowing. But how can we spot a true prophet? Again, we need to know a true prophet from a false one. And, of course, the Bible gives us the answers, several answers. First, it has to be in harmony with God's word. 
from Isaiah 8.20. Most of y'all are familiar with that. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The second one, the predictions need to come to pass. The prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. Jeremiah 28.9 So if a prophet's predictions or prophecies come to pass, then we know that the Lord could probably sent them. Okay, edifies the church. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. And that's from 1 Corinthians 14. So a prophet needs to help the church, needs to edify it, build it up. The prophet also, a true one, needs to exalt Jesus Christ. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. 1 John 4.2 So a prophet has to exalt Jesus Christ and put him first. A, a true prophet will also bear good fruit. Matthew seven sixteen to 18 Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So there has to be good fruit from a true prophet. Okay, so we have this list in harmony with the word, predictions coming to pass, edifying the church, exalting Jesus Christ, and bearing good fruit. But for a prophet at the last one, we're missing one item. They need to write and speak about Daniel 8.14 and the 2400-day prophecy to be the true prophet at the end around the 1844. So when we look at all these names, we need to see which ones follow all of these tests. So we're going to look at the proof here for Ellen White. Here are some of her statements. So on the first one, to be in harmony with the word. Cling to your Bible as it reads and stop your criticism in regard to its validity and obey the word and not one of you will be lost. Little heed is given to the Bible and the Lord has given a lesser light to lead men and women to the greater light. Now, their predictions need to come to pass. In 1902, she predicted that San Francisco and Oakland, California, would be visited by the Lord because they were becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. That was in a manuscript, 1902, page 114. And her predictions did come to pass. Four years later, on April 18, 1906, the San Andreas Fault out in California slipped. Tremors were felt from Los Angeles in the south to Coos Bay, Oregon in the north. But San Francisco and the Bay Area took the brunt of the 7.8 magnitude earthquake. 3,000 people were killed. Half the city population were instantly turned into homeless refugees. And by the time all the resulting fires were extinguished days later, 500 city blocks and 28,000 buildings had burned. There's a newspaper um, article of it. There were $100 million worth of damage, and that's back at that point in time. I can't imagine what that figure would be like today. And 100,000 people were hurt 
Okay, this person must edify the church. Ellen White wrote a nine-volume set of testimonies for the church. It was condensed into this version called Councils for the Church, uh, which has been used by the church in many parts of the world. She's also given counsel about which properties to purchase, who to employ, etc. She's also given messages of encouragement or rebuke to church members. This person must exalt Jesus Christ. And uh, that was her life. I mean, she's, you know, all, so many books that she's written um, were all about Jesus and, and um, devotionals to be like Jesus. And um, I was thinking about my testimony when I joined the church. I had studied all the doctrines in the, the series we went to, and I could tell from the Bible that they were all true. But I really didn't have time during that seminar we went to to read or learn anything about Ellen White and her writings. I just learned that she was a prophet that the church had. And I remember thinking at the time, well, this is all good. I, I see all everything from the Bible, but I don't know about this Ellen White lady. But I said, okay, I'm going to join the church, and if I find out this is hokey, this is weird, this is something strange here, I'm out of here. I mean, that's exactly how I felt when I joined. But anyway, I'm still here 46 years later, and I've read a lot of her writings, and she lifts, lifts up Jesus in everything, absolutely everything. A prophet needs to also bear good fruit. Now, this is also, I guess you could say, good fruit and a prophecy or prophetic, any two. But in 1864, Ellen White wrote, Tobacco is a poison of the most deceitful and malignant kind. It's all the more dangerous because its effects upon the system are so slow and scarcely perceivable. Her counsel has certainly helped many people gain good health habits. Now, if you were back in her time, or a little bit later, you might have seen some of these ads, especially the one on your left would be the oldest one. And cigarettes were advertised for your health back then. Asthma cigarettes for the temporary relief of asthma, hay fever, foul breath, all diseases of the throat, head colds, canker sores, bronchial irritations. Can you imagine and the one on the right, smoke a fresh cigarette, camels. <laughs> I mean, to, it's crazy that they thought that they were good for you, but they did. And this one, I had never seen this before. This is a horrible ad. This is a pregnant mother, and she says, in the, I don't know if you can read the words up there, but she says, people are always telling me that smoking causes low birth weight babies. Talk about a win-win-win, an easy labor, a slim baby, and the full flavor of Winston's. I'm like, what a lie from the devil. <laughs> it wasn't until 1957 that the American Heart Association concluded, or let us know, that smoking was a causative factor in lung cancer. And I remember as a kid when that came out. But Ellen White had given her warnings 93 years before they discovered that smoking causes cancer, lung cancer. Okay, now this prophet also needs to write and speak about Daniel 8.14, and she does many, many times. This is just one. As the prophet of, prophecy of Daniel 8.14 is fulfilled in this dispensation, the sanctuary to which it refers must be the sanctuary of the new covenant, 
At the termination of the 2300 days in 1844, there had been no sanctuary on earth for many centuries. Thus the prophecy, under 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, unquestionably points to the sanctuary in heaven. And that was from Great Controversy, page 417. Now, I will also say she didn't ask for that gift, and it was a lot of people think it might have been easy. It was not easy for her to share visions and especially to share reproofs with people that God had given. After I had the vision and God gave me light, he bade me deliver it, but I shrank from it. I was young, and I thought they would not receive it from me. And I know she often shrank back about giving reproofs, or she might have softened them a little, that what God told her to do. And he got on to her, and he told her, you tell them like I said to, you know. And so after that, she did. She was, she was obedient. But I don't think it was easy. But um, here is a prophecy of hers. By the decree enforcing the institution of the papacy, that would be, Sunday instead of Sabbath, in violation of the law of God, our nation will disconnect herself fully from righteousness. When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, when she shall reach over the abyss to clasp hands with spiritualism, when under the influence of this threefold union, our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant and Republican government, and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions. Then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan and that the end is near. And that's from Testimonies, Volume 5, page 451. And I believe this prophecy of hers will come true, and I think we're getting to it closer and closer every single day. Okay, now we're going to look at a quote from Paul Harvey. Um, he was famous for his interesting newscasts and his program, The Rest of the Story. He said, Women have been honored on American postage stamps for more than 100 years, starting with one woman who was not an American, Queen Isabella, Isabella in 1893. Since then, 86 women have been honored, ranging from Martha Washington to Marilyn Monroe, and also many women authors like Louisa May Alcott, Emily Dickerson, and others. But I can name an American woman author who has never been honored thus, though her writings have been translated into 148 languages, more than Marx or Tolstoy, more than Agatha Christie, and more than William Shakespeare. Only now is the world coming to appreciate her recommended prescription for optimum spiritual and physical health. Ellen White. You don't know her? Get to know her. This was on his program about 24 years ago, September of 1997. Now I want you to think about each of these as they come up. Enoch with the flood. Noah was at the end of the prophecy. Abraham with Egyptian captivity, ending with Moses. Jeremiah, and then with the Babylonian captivity, ending with Daniel. Daniel the prophet again, with the, the, Jesus as the Messiah prophet, ending in John. And then Daniel with the 2300-year prophecy ending in 1844 with Ellen White. They all happened just as predicted. Just as the Bible said, God is faithful and true. Okay, let's take 
a good piece of advice from the Bible and not from the Internet fact-checkers because they're not always correct. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And also this one from Second Chronicles 2020. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today for this service, and we thank you for your word, we thank you for your blessings, and we thank you for your salvation in Jesus. May we always be true and honor you and lift you up, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.